Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. We began this podcast series with a famous quote from a legendary leader. From the BBC in London, Winston Churchill speaks on the first month of war. It was October 1st in 1939. Nazi Germany had just invaded Poland from the west. And Russia then responded by invading from the east. A couple of weeks later, British Prime Minister Winston Churchill went on BBC Radio. Poland has been again overrun. He admitted he couldn't predict what the Russians would do next. The great orator famously described the country as a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside an enigma. Eight decades later, that definition of Russia still rings true. But Churchill's speech didn't end there. Russia has pursued a cold policy of self-interest. He went on to say that the key to the Russian riddle, to unraveling the mystery, is to understand Russia's national interest. In other words, to know how Russia will act, you need to understand exactly what it wants to achieve. Uh, the main aim was to raise all tensions uh, in, in the American society. There were thousands of tweets that talked about Canadian issues. I would understand if they, if they uh, launched a trolling campaign on Facebook or Twitter, for instance, for Brexit, you know, in order to, to destroy the European Union. I would understand that. I think at, the, at this moment, the Kremlin would be interested in this. I'm Jeff Semple, and this is a special episode of Russia Rising. Over the past seven episodes, we've heard warnings from Russian hackers and former internet trolls. If Canadians are afraid of foreign influence, they need to double-check everything they read online. If you see some data on Facebook, check it with different sources. Canadians need to be vigilant. We investigated cases of Russian spies and assassins and explored how the Kremlin covers its tracks by deploying an ancient Russian strategy known as Maskarovka. The main thing is distract, spray as many different conspiracy theories and alternative explanations as possible so people think, well, we don't really know what's going on, there's just lots and lots of versions and who's to know what the facts are. We looked to the stars with Russian astronauts and peered into the country's future with the young Russians who are building it. Young people don't like what's happening, really. That's my opinion. And on this bonus episode of Russia Rising, we'll take a look back, reflect on that journey, and ask where we go from here. I am pleased to introduce a guest that I think many of our listeners probably already know, uh, Nikki Reitmeyer, who is the host and producer of This Is Why and uh, producer of When Life Gives You Parkinson's, which uh, Curious Cast listeners may be familiar with. And I've asked Nikki to join us from our studios in Vancouver, and I'm currently in Toronto right now today. Um, and I've asked Nikki to join us because, you know, through the course of 
producing and and um, bringing you these episodes of Russia Rising over the past several weeks. I've been doing the interviewing, so I've been talking to asking questions of Russian trolls and hackers and former KGB agents. So we've asked Nikki effectively to turn the tables on me, if she'd be so kind, and to, you know, not pull any punches and ask me some tough questions about the making of this podcast, the journey that it was, and potentially where things could even go from here. So, Nikki, thank you so much for joining us. Jeff, most people go on a trip and they come back with photographs. You went on a trip and you came back with a podcast. <laughs> That's right. And some photographs. And some photographs. But yes. Yeah, well, it's interesting because I've you know, been working as a Europe bureau chief for Global News. So based in London, England for about six years. Um, so do a lot of reporting on Russia. And then sort of late last year, pitched a trip. So we wanted to go to Russia. And it started out because... There was a Canadian astronaut, David St. Jock, who was training to become Canada's newest representative on board the International Space Station. He was scheduled to lift off in December of 2018. And so the Canadian Space Agency asked if we wanted to come and meet him while he was doing some of his training in Star City. So just on the outskirts of Moscow. And of course, we introduced you to David St. Jock uh, a couple of episodes ago on the podcast. So that's how this trip started, is that we wanted to go and interview a Canadian astronaut training in Russia. But I thought, you know, while we're there and we don't get to go to Russia every day, why don't we see who else we can talk to on the ground? So we spent, you know, about a week um, trying to line up some other interviews. And, you know, it was just the more we started pulling at this thread, the more interesting it became and, you know, got to talk to some fascinating people on the ground there. But this was originally supposed to be a trip that was going to gather tape and elements and interviews for some TV news stories. And then pretty much at the last minute, one of our bosses said, Hey, why don't you try and do a podcast while you're there? Um, and so having never done a podcast before, and you know, I've spent most of my career producing news stories that are two or three minutes long. This was a little daunting. I'll admit to produce episodes that were, you know, almost 30 minutes long, but it has been, you know, one of the most satisfying projects just personally to get to really sink our teeth into some of these stories and to delve a little deeper than we usually get to on the news. So we set about trying to produce this podcast and it's been a great experience and it's been great to get, uh, you know, to connect with some of the listeners either on Twitter or over email to share in the discussion with them in terms of certain episodes, certain characters who have really resonated with them. One thing that's kind of cool about how you turn this into a podcast is that you're actually able to take us so much deeper into the into the subject. Now, you're a journalist, and I get what that's like. You spend all of this time researching a story and collecting information and doing interviews. And then when you send that story back to Canada, you only get like... 30 seconds or 45 seconds or maybe 60 seconds if you're really, really lucky for that story to fit into a three to four minute newscast where the news reporter also has to talk about local politics and local crime and the weather and the stock market and the price of gas and blah, blah, blah. You do not get a lot of time to tell the bigger story that you're working on. But at least with a podcast, you know, you can do so much more than just scratch the surface. You can actually go deeper. Yeah, and I feel like we've still just scratched the surface, right? So I'm I'm hoping that we can go back again and do a little more. But you're right. I mean, it is, I mean, it is it is excruciating for us news reporters to you know often have to distill hugely complicated 
issues, countries, stories into a couple of minutes on the news. Um, and you, you know, there's often so much more that we wanted to say and to share uh, and to delve deeper. And so, you know, it, it's it's painful every day. I have to admit, you know, a lot of these news stories, we just you feel like you don't do them justice. So this was a terrific platform for us, and it's a new platform. It's new to me. Uh, and you know what's been really cool, Nikki, is to just, and I know you know this as well, but just to kind of become part of the podcasting community. I mean, a lot of the feedback that we've received are from people who are interested in podcasting or are doing podcasting themselves and sort of just stumbled into this terrific community that is passionate, not only even just discussing our stories, but discussing the way we approach them and the, you know, the audio production and the story treatment and all of that. I mean, it's, I found myself in this sort of discussion with complete strangers talking about how we do this craft and how we do podcasting and it's a terrific community a growing community and it's uh, one that I'm really thrilled to have suddenly become a part of yeah, it's cool to hear that you're in touch with the listeners of the podcast uh, what about the characters what about the characters that we heard from within this podcast series do you keep in touch with any of them I know in episode three we met Alexander who is a former hacker and we also met Nicholas he's a Canadian man who's working in Russia is like um I don't know, like a like a hacker hunter. Can we call him a hacker hunter? He's a hacker yeah, hunter. Hacker hunter. I'm sure he'd like that on his business card. Technically, he's <laughs> he's the director of international business at Group IB, so not quite as sexy as a hacker hunter, but that is ostensibly what he is. And you're right, he works for a cybersecurity firm based in Moscow. Uh, moved to Moscow a few years ago after you know spending his career. He's from Nova Scotia and grew up in Canada, uh, but has worked you know in a number of different cities and countries, and you know talked to us about how, working in Russia and how he had. You know, the cybersecurity industry in Russia to him was the greatest challenge that he had ever faced, that these Russian speaking cyber criminals, either, you know, from Russia or Ukraine, former Soviet states uh, posed, you know, a a remarkable challenge for him. And he was almost impressed uh, with their skills. And we sort of talked to him on that episode about, you know, some of the reasons why and the the rich history that Russia has with with technology in general uh, and innovation. And, um, you know, it's a it's a very high tick Moscow is a very high-tech place. It's a very high-tech city. Um, so, yeah, we've kept in touch with some of them. And Vitaly Bespalov, I think, was one of my most memorable interviews. He was the former Russian troll who we met in the first episode. What about him did you find so memorable? Well, he just struck me as just – he was – you know, I was going to meet this Russian troll and I just did not know what to expect. Right. And you show up and you're, I don't know, maybe you're expecting some sort of burly Russian propagandist or something. I don't know what I had in mind, but he was this sort of hipster, uh, kind of scrawny, uh, little guy with his hat backwards and a bunch of tattoos and just like a bit of a wry grin and was just immediately sort of really endearing as a character. Um, and you know, related to him in the sense that he was, a you know, one wanted to be a journalist and had, you know, gone to school for this and was a young guy trying to make it in the industry and just sort of accidentally stumbled into this troll factory when he thought he was applying for a job at a news website. Um, and I think, you know, he just struck me as, as very candid, um, just a charming guy. And, uh, you know, the good news is that he is actually been doing pretty well in the industry. He got a job working as a real journalist this time uh, in St. Petersburg, which is great news for him. Um, and, you know, continues to talk about his experience at that troll factory with, you know, news outlets, global news, as well as others. And, you know, it's a brave thing for him to do, because as we document and discussed through that episode, he has faced some backlash, particularly from 
from the Kremlin-controlled TV channels in Russia who have portrayed him and as a you know a drug addict, um, potentially an American spy. So he's had his name dragged through the mud, but he continues to speak out about his experience there. And you know, there's so much more to that story that we'd like to tell, and uh, might look for opportunities to tell uh, in additional potential spots here in this space for Russia Rising. Uh, you know, I hope we hear more from him because. He was a really cool character in this podcast. You know, he's not just one-dimensional. This is a guy who has a moral awareness, and he proved that, obviously. He's this man who's portrayed by the KGB as bad, but we know that he's aiming to be good. He's a really interesting face to put onto one of these Russian trolls, you know, to humanize something that we don't even have a human name for. Yeah, and, you know, we just hear so much about these Russian trolls, right? And they're meddling in the last U.S. presidential campaign and threats and warnings about, you know, whether Canada's upcoming federal election later this year might be targeted. And so to put a human face on one of these, you know, quote-unquote trolls uh, was was really something and really thought-provoking for for me anyway. Um, And I think, you know, yeah, it'd be great to reconnect with him for sure. Hey, let's talk about some of the updates on the stories that you covered in Russia Rising, because the news changes so fast. So I imagine by the time that you would put out an episode, there might be a new development in one of the stories that you were talking about. You know, I'm thinking of the poisoning case, for example, of Sergei Skripal. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing, actually. Some of these podcast episodes, we were sort of like, oh, man, like as soon as we published them, there was this huge update the next week. And, um, you know, and, and I think particularly in the case of Sergei Skripal, as you mentioned, that was the former. Russian double agent who was poisoned with the rare nerve agent Novichok last year in Salisbury, England. You'll remember it was sprayed on his front door. He and his daughter were hospitalized. Uh, He narrowly managed to escape with his life. And that story was so fascinating in itself. I feel like you could have done an entire podcast series on just that one story. Yeah, that was one where people said, well, why didn't you do more than one episode on that one? Or why didn't you do more than one episode on Putin? And I kept saying, I felt felt like saying like, yes, I know exactly. We could have done, you know, uh, like a hundred episodes on each one of these episodes. But especially as you say that Skripal poisoning story in part because, you know, honestly, for me, be, as a Canadian journalist based in London, when I heard when, when the British government came out right away and it, it, we just marked an anniversary on that, actually, it was just over a year ago on March 4th, 2018, that this happened and the British government came out in a matter of days and blamed Russia and you know, as journalists, we're paid to be skeptical, right? And I was, you know, it was hard to understand why the Kremlin would want to do that, frankly. And it just didn't make sense for a lot of reasons. And so it was a great, this episode was a great opportunity to delve into some of those questions. Um, And a lot of them, you know, unfortunately remain unanswered. I mean, looking through the evidence, um, you know, bringing my own skepticism to that, once you sort of look through the evidence, it's pretty compelling that these two guys who were allegedly responsible for the attempted assassination are Russian GRU agents. I mean, the evidence is there. It's, a lot of it's published online on websites like Bellingcat or The Insider. But we, we don't know is, you know, if you take that they are indeed Russian GRU agents, you still are left with questions about, you know, the Kremlin's motivation and, you know, why would it make political sense for them to carry out an, an attempted assassination like this one, especially just a few months before Russia hosted the World Cup. And a lot of these questions, you know, remain unanswered. We mark that anniversary of the attempted assassination, as I say, at the beginning of March. Um, we've seen some new evidence come forward since that uh, the two of the websites that have led the reporting on the story, Bellingcat and The Insider.
provider have published evidence about a third suspect that they say was an, another high-ranking Russian agent with the GRU, Russia's military intelligence service, who they say showed up in the UK a couple of days before the poisoning as well. So, you know, we continue to learn new details about what happened here. We continue to hear mostly the same response from the Russian side and the Kremlin who, you know, deny any involvement, who claim these guys were innocent. Russia doesn't extradite its own citizens to face charges abroad. So it's likely that this will remain a mystery for the foreseeable future, Nikki. Oh, that story is so concerning. I mean, let's be honest, when you were there, when you were in Russia and you, you're digging up this information, did you ever have a concern for your safety. I mean, we know that organizations like the KGB don't really care for journalists digging up the truth and digging up info. Did you ever feel scared for your safety when you were there? Yeah, sure. It's always on your mind. Um, and, you know, I think we're just we just do our, our research. And I think aware of the fact that, yes, on one hand, journalism is a dangerous business in Russia. Um, you know, we've seen journalists killed over the years. Um, and, you know, I think for Russian journalists in particular, the ones who are doing these investigations on the ground in Moscow or St. Petersburg, they are rightfully concerned. There are, you know, I can't I can't think of any off the top of my head where a Western journalist, you know, in, in recent years anyway, has gone into Russia on an assignment like this one and been targeted. Uh, a lot of the ground that we covered, you know, has been covered by other journalists and we were sort of, you know, taking a step back and looking at it more holistically. So the short answer is yes, it's always on your mind. Um, you know, we try and take precautions, but also I think it's it's worth noting, and I'm not sure a lot of people in Canada necessarily appreciate this, but that Russia you know, is not North Korea. Um, you can go in and you can walk through a park like we did talking to Russian young people, a lot of whom will give you very honest answers about, you know, why they don't like Russian President Putin. So the, Russia is not a country where, you know, the police, it's, you know, this police state where people are going to get, you know, arrested as soon as they whisper a, a bad word about President Putin. I mean, that's not an accurate depiction at all. Uh, and we do hear, you know, depictions like that of countries like North Korea or even China. But, you know, Russia, I think, is remains a dangerous place to do journalism. But, it, you know, you take calculated risks in our job to go to these places and to get these stories. And I'm glad that we were able to do that. Is that something that you wanted to do in this podcast as well? Not just show a dark underbelly to Russia, but also to give us an honest understanding of what that country is really like. I mean, let's not kid ourselves. I understand that you know we are exposed to a certain amount of North American propaganda. And as a result, you know, we tend to perceive Russia as this dark and scary place, something that we see featured in a spy thriller movie. So was it important for you to portray the reality of what everyday Russia is like, what the everyday Russian experience is. Yeah, it really was. And I hope that came across. I mean, especially in, in the last episode, the one just before this one, where we spoke to the quote unquote Putin generation of young young people and really wanted to sort of convey, you know, real life and, and just get a sense and a flavor of, you know, what it's like to talk to people in a park in Russia where, you know, Gorky Park in Moscow is just this beautiful park, um, you know, like we'd see in you know Central Park in New York City or Hyde Park in London. 
London. Uh, and there are just kids hanging out, you know, ordinary Russian young people, you know, acting like young Canadians do, right? And they're, when you stop them and ask them about politics, a lot of them are very politically engaged. And they're, you know, they're not afraid to give you pretty frank and honest answers. And yeah, I think, you know, it, it's been funny because reporting on Russia over the years, often talking to shows like yours or, you know, other um, podcasts or talk radio stations uh, that are associated with chorus and global news. And look, question that I've gotten a lot is, you know, what is it like to move around the, uh, in Russia? I mean, do you, you know, like in North Korea, when you get off the plane, you're greeted, there's, there's basically a minder, you're babysat as a foreign journalist 24-7. Um, you know, they follow you around, they control exactly what you see, who you talk to. And it, in North Korea, it's basically a pop- propaganda parade. Uh, if you like. But in Russia, it's not like that at all. I mean, in the visits that we've done and the conversations that we had, um, you know, St. Petersburg feels like you're in any other European city a lot of the time. So I I do think people kind of have this sort of big Russian boogeyman misconception about what the country is like and what the people are like. Many of them, you know, are just, you know, remind you a lot of Canadians because as soon as you introduce yourself as a Canadian, they're like, oh, they start talking about hockey and it's hard to get them to stop. (laughs) I'm sure they love to talk about our hockey rivalry. Yeah, it's the first thing. Honestly, like 90% of the time, that's the first place that people go is they want to talk about uh, about hockey and, um, you know, and I and (laughs) When you're not there to do a story on hockey, it can be a little bit difficult to bring them back on uh, on topic. (laughs) Well, you know, I got to say, in all seriousness, the overall sense that I get from listening to this season of Russia Rising is that the Russian government and bad actors are using new weapons, false, um, damning or incriminating information that's like the new bullet. And the internet and cyber technology, that's the new barrel of the gun. Yeah, I mean, I think the the reaction that we got to that first episode that really focused on disinformation, you know, these Russian trolls targeting elections, not only in the United States, but in other countries, including Canada. And I think the response we got to that particular issue was surprising even in its scale uh, just the, the level of interest and concern in that regard and I think it does speak to the reality as you noted that this is the world we live in now and you know the internet it can be an amazing resource and it can also be you know sort of the wild west when it comes to trying to get information and knowing whom to trust um, and you know it, I, I have, I've often likened it to you know you go on social media you're going to get news you sort of think of it as the same way as when you go to a grocery store you're going to buy a food item well you'll you know maybe you'll look at who made that carton of milk and you know what are the ingredients uh before you put it in your body and maybe we need to start thinking you know as canadians start thinking about consuming information on the internet in the same way to know to make sure you know where it's coming from uh because you know one of the most chilling details uh, to me of this entire podcast was that these russian troll tweets that were coming from this troll factory in saint petersburg were being mentioned and retweeted millions of times, including by ordinary Canadians who were reading this information and then sharing it on their Facebook feeds and on their Twitter feeds, etc. And, you know, so not only are people believing what they're reading, they're then sharing that dis that disinformation. And, you know, it's so what we've seen and I think Canada, you know, should be mindful of this. Canadians should be thinking about it because we have a federal election coming up this fall. We've had the Canadian government announce just recently, actually speaking of updates, that um, they have put together this task force 
a group of bureaucrats, members from the RCMP, CSIS, the Communications Security Establishment, their job will be to watch for foreign interference in our upcoming federal election campaign. And then their their duty will be to report what they see. And that could include trolls and meddling. That could, intru- that could include hacking, as you mentioned. Um, so, you know, we, we are, you know, the Canadian government is taking steps. I think can, ordinary Canadians are wising up to this. And I think it'll be, you know, we are looking forward to monitoring it as well as we move into that federal election campaign. Throughout this podcast, Russia Rising, you know, you remind us to to keep one eye on what we know about Russia, but also to consider the future, which is the development of space technology and the privatization of that field as well. Russia, I think we know, has always been a main player in the space race, but how is their approach changing? Well, that is a story, and that is an episode that we produced, uh, you know, looking at the new space race that, uh, you know, our audio producer, Rob Johnston, and I were sort of banging our heads against the wall because it was almost like hours after the episode was published, there was this huge new development in that story and in that space race where we saw SpaceX, of course, a private company, launched Crew Dragon on March the 2nd, and this was an uncrewed test flight to the International Space Station. Uh, The first time that we'd seen this, it was, you know, Donald Trump, among others, tweeting his congratulations. Uh, And an example of how private companies are basically taking over the industry, an industry that we have, you know, historically for several years now relied pretty much entirely on Russia for. So, there are, you know, around 18 countries that have representatives who have lived and worked at the International Space Station. And all of them for the past several years have relied on Russia to get us up there. They are the only game in town. You have to book a ticket on the Soyuz rocket. Um, and part of the reason we were interested in this angle is because it just represents this sort of rare Example, an industry where you have sort of perfect geopolitical harmony. I mean, Russians, Canadians, Americans working literally shoulder to shoulder, trusting each other with their lives in this one industry that despite all the sanctions that we've seen from Western countries targeting Russia, the space industry has remained utterly unscathed by any of that. And in fact, you know, we send Russia billions of dollars every year to book a seat aboard their Soyuz rocket to get up to the International Space Station. But all of that is changing because companies like SpaceX or Virgin Galactic are now getting into the game and offering you know, their services to potentially paying customers who we may even see this year potentially going up on one of these private spacecrafts, as well as supplies to, you know, for, on behalf. So NASA is paying a company like SpaceX, for example, now billions of dollars. So instead of giving that money to Russia, they're giving it to SpaceX and SpaceX is then ferrying that equipment to the International Space Station. So that's a huge development in that story for sure. Um, and another one we we saw um, earlier this month was that China hinting strongly that it may be about to launch its own space station potentially this year. Um, So keep an eye on the space for that. So are we going to hear another season of Russia Rising, though? Yeah, I I would love that. I mean, we're we're talking about that. At the very least, there will, you know, we're hoping to bring you... um, maybe some extra content, a bonus episode or two, uh, and are very open to ideas at this point, I have to say. It's an ongoing discussion in terms of, you know, particular issues we might like to explore. So if anyone has any suggestions, we've received some already, actually, from listeners. You can email us at rusharising at curiouscast.ca. One of the topics we're potentially looking at exploring is the Cold War, pun intended, uh, going on in the Arctic right now, because, of course, as we've heard many times now, 
now that climate change is changing the geography up there and pushing the cold and the ice a little further north, um, talk, spurring talk of a, of a gold rush in the Arctic and with its abundant natural resources. And at the same time, you know, we have competing claims uh, over who controls what territory up in the North Pole. We've seen just recently Russia, according to a report, launching fighter patrols in the North Pole for the first time in 30 years. Um, you know, this is an issue that doesn't get a lot of coverage and maybe it should. So that's one topic we're looking at exploring. And I have to say, Nikki, a lot of a lot of the feedback I received also people who thought that we were picking on Russia and we should be looking at China instead. Well, stay tuned for more on that. I was hoping you were going to say that China rising. I think that has a really good ring to it. It does. It does. And I think, uh, yeah, we'd love to uh, love to pursue that. And and my goodness, I mean, we heard we hear so much about Russia lately. We've been certainly hearing a lot more about China in Canada, haven't we? So I think it would be a, you know a very good opportunity to potentially look at that. Okay, so now we've heard the podcast. When are you and I going to sit down together so I can see these photographs that you first talked about? <laughs> well, you'll have to add me on Facebook, I think. <laughs> I, I want you to present your pictures like a slideshow, like how Grandma used to show pictures from her travels. I know. it's I haven't had a good old-fashioned uh, slideshow for a while. I, you know, it's a good question. And you know what, though? we've I mean, for people who want to learn more about any of the episodes that we've done, you can, first and foremost, go back to the beginning. If you, you know, didn't catch episode one of Russia Rising, please do go back and check it out. If you missed an episode... I really encourage you to check it out. And the other thing, speaking of photos, Nikki, that you can do is to go online and look at our show notes. If you go on, you know, curiouscast.ca or globalnews.ca and just search Russia Rising. And for every episode that we produced, I also wrote uh, an article, uh, like a written online piece to accompany the podcast that includes some additional information that you might not have heard on the episode itself. You was also some contact information for some of the guests that we spoke with and some photos from our trip. I've read those articles and they are actually very easy to find online. Yeah, great. Cause it's not always easy to, <laughs> to find things online these days. So yeah, it is in there uh, amongst the fake news is the real news. And I promise <laughs> that, uh, yeah, I hope, hope people will check it out cause there's a lot more great information on there. And there's my contact information on there as well at Jeff Semple GN, or as I say, our email address, Russia rising at curiouscast.ca. For Curious Cast and Global News, this is Russia Rising, an investigative series from me, Jeff Semple, to unravel the mystery of today's Russia. If you liked what you heard, you can help spread the word by rating, reviewing, and subscribing for free now at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and every other app where you get your streaming audio. We can also be found at CuriousCast.ca. Russia Rising is written and hosted by me, Jeff Semple. Dila Velezquez is our story producer, and sound design is by Rob Johnston. Thanks for listening to Russia Rising. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.